Hey everyone, it's Serial Killer Country. My name is Brittany Ransom. And I'm Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week we'll discuss something new and interesting in the serial killer world, and then we'll discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer and go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then, because most serial killer fans love a little spook, Brian will lead us down the road of the paranormal into something that he found to be particularly creepy. As far as our topical discussion goes this week, we have been sort of both tentatively watching and not watching the Ripper documentary on Netflix. I have put about two and a half episodes in before I was vexed. I was vexed. I was so annoyed. I put half an episode. <laughs> well, you said that recently you uh, had actually followed another podcast, and so you had heard a lot of the details. Right. So you didn't feel like watching a whole other thing about the same thing. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, reputation is key, but come on now. I, I just don't like listening to the same thing over and over and over again. I was just... Uh... I just felt like the it's so the Ripper documentary for anyone who doesn't know, I doubt you don't know, but if you don't, it's about the Yorkshire Ripper who was very active for about five years in the seventies in uh, West Yorkshire, which is in the UK. Uh, he mainly killed in Leeds and Manchester. Yes. Now, not to be confused with Jack the Ripper, of course. Well, that's where the name came from because they knew that that would be a name that would sort of inspire the community to hopefully, or their intent was to inspire the community to take it seriously. Right, yeah. And also, in the beginning, this killer particularly liked prostitutes or didn't like them. It didn't seem like he was sexually assaulting them. No, he just targeted them. Yeah, he was just attacking them, and it was pretty brutal. He had a signature of always hitting them with a hammer first. Yep. And, uh... A couple of the cases later on, he got more violent when people didn't find them right away. He would come back and he would stab them repeatedly. Yes. like That was a uh, rage thing. That was a rage thing. And also, he never actually sexually assaulted them. The one woman who got away from him said that um, when she went to, like, I guess she happened to, like, touch his pants and he, like, backed away from her. And so I think this was someone who was dealing with more of an impotence issue than yeah. the the lust killers that we hear about or are so popular, at least with the documentaries go. People seem to find people who are sexually deviant in terms of these sort of killings to be very fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I just recently remember hearing about another serial killer or a killer who had, uh, he, was, he was well endowed. Oh, no. But it didn't work. Oh, yeah, so, the impotence situation can be a whole other thing. They're usually very, very violent. Yeah, and I remember, like, some of his victims would, like, make fun of him because of that before he um, eventually killed them. And, uh, well, I'm actually pulling up because I <laughs> made a very impassioned Facebook post about this, so that's what I'm pulling up right now. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what I said was this documentary is vexing. I'm watching The Ripper on Netflix, and it's amazing to me how little sympathy the public had for the women this man murdered. And all I could think was... This is a man who is very openly has a hatred for prostitutes and is killing prostitutes. And there are still women who are prostitutes, which has got to let you know that they had no other options right. and that they were desperate. And I don't understand looking at someone in that position and being like, oh, how horrible you are. Like, yeah, no. And then I was also struck by this notion of some of them were a lot older 
than we would think of when we think of prostitutes. We think of, you know, the young hip escorts in the movies and things of that nature. One of his victims was 41, had four kids, was married and was trying to like make money because her husband was going bankrupt. Was that the first victim? I think so. Yeah. And I was just like, this is, how do you not have sympathy for this person? And they kept showing these little news clippings and news spots. Yeah. That were talking about, oh, the ones that really, really made me angry were the guy who was sitting, I don't know who he was, but he was sitting and he was just like, you've made your point. You made it eight different times. And now you've murdered an innocent 16-year-old girl. Are you going to keep murdering innocent women? We know that you don't like prostitutes. You don't need to do this anymore. And I was just like, you just don't care at all. No. About like, these original women. Like, not the 16-year-old. I'm like, yeah, innocent. But everybody else is innocent, too, in this. Like, right. This notion that, like, if you're doing something that is considered morally unsound, you deserve to be brutalized? No. What is wrong with people? We support our sex workers, okay? And then, and then, I think the other thing that, one of the things that really irked me, well, actually, I'll say this. <laughs> Originally, when I talked about this on the TikTok, when I talked about this man, um, the Ripper, they, I was surprised that the UK filed like an official inquiry into the West Yorkshire police. This was a government based inquiry and they released the findings in the early 2000s. And as I'm watching this documentary, I'm like, oh, now I see why they looked into you. Yeah. You, you need it to be looked into. People drop the ball on so many angles and so many different things. That's one of the things that was interesting about the Ramirez documentary was how not messing up yeah they, the police were yeah, they're pretty spot on like they're doing a good, uh, good job on that one yeah i just i don't know if i have it in me to watch the rest of this and hear this like read these awful things and another thing that irked me i got about halfway through the third episode and they have a forensics expert who's working with them and he's going over these letters that came into the papers and letters that came into the police report and a phone call like a recorded voicemail that was mailed to them. And after a while, he's just like, all of this information that he's like included in these letters is all public domain. And he's, I think we have a fraud. Mm -hmm. And at the time they had created something called like operation R or something. Operation Ripper. Uh, Yes, I believe that what it was what it was. And it was over a million dollars in the 70s. And it was playing that audio recording all over the place and stopping at bars and showing people the handwriting and all this stuff and putting it in the papers like every day. And so this forensic expert is saying, this is not the Ripper. You are, I don't, you're just giving somebody a high off of the attention, but this is not the Ripper. I don't think this is him. And he actually says in the documentary, yeah, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And I told them that. Really? Wow. Can can we just, okay. Mm -hmm. Let's let's continue with the the police incompetency. And how many times was this man questioned again? Five times, which they have yet to mention at all in the documentary that I've watched. I've spent two and a half hours now on this, and they have not mentioned that they have interviewed him at all five times you question him five times and you let him go 
Five times. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. So this documentary, whoever whoever made this particular documentary felt very sympathetic to the police and wants to try and paint them in the best light possible. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things. Like documentaries are about non-fictional situations, but they are entirely dependent on the the vision of the director. And for me, the vision from the director who created The Hunt for the Night Stalker was someone who, who thought of Richard Ramirez as a monster. Right. And wanted to impart the fear that he put L.A. through and explain how grotesque and awful this man was. Like, even when they discussed his childhood, Ramirez's mm, childhood, yeah. they did not. Like, I believe uh, the one uh, heavyset guy, the heavyset Hispanic guy, Gus, was just like, mm. every bad thing that could probably happen to a kid happened to this guy. You mean a detective? Yeah, the detective. Oh, Gil. Gil. Or there we go. Gil. Yeah. I don't know why I call him Gus. Sorry, what a G. Detective <laughs> Gil was, he was even slightly sympathetic to him, but they didn't really lean into that. He was allowed to have his opinion. That was yeah. his life. And, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. But I feel like that's the reason why I didn't like the Ted Bundy tapes, because I felt like they were very indulgent into Ted Bundy, like being very arrogant and aggrandizing and. I just didn't, I don't like that viewpoint when I look at this sort of information. I don't want someone who admires a serial killer to be telling me their story. It's it's why I, you know, started saying the kind of content that I, you know, making the kind of content that I did on TikTok. Mm. I don't admire these people. I find them to be fascinations. Um, I find they're, I want to know what they're thinking about. I want to know why they did the things that they did. But I do not admire any of these people. Even when we make jokes during this podcast or things of that nature, or we make fun of the serial killers or some of the things that they did still in the end, in the long run, I I want to recognize that what they did was awful. um, And, and they left behind victims and victims, families and things of that nature. So overall, I'm not really vibing with the Ripper and I don't think I'll be finishing that documentary. (laughs) Uh, I'll try to get through the first episode. (laughs) I got like 30 minutes left. It was just, yeah. I watched the first one and I was like, oh, okay, this is good. This is good. And by the middle of the second one, I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. This, I don't like this angle. I liked how they discussed the first woman. They very much tried to discuss her humanity and they had her son there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. (sighs) That was very interesting. And then, like I said, once they got into like showing the news reports Mm -hmm. and the clippings and the, the, the commercials and it was just so dehumanizing for the victims. Mm-hmm. That's what really like cut me deep. I know a lot of people who who have worked in that industry, who still work in that industry, and like I can't imagine one of them dying and everyone being like, "Yeah, it's what you deserve. See you yeah. later." Yeah, no, nothing. Like, These no. are still people. Yeah, but I have been holding it back for the last week who I was going to discuss as my serial killer topic for the week. And you already know if you saw the headline for this, but it's definitely Belle Goddess. Oh, snap. (laughs) (laughs) Someone who you know a little bit about, right? Yeah, yeah, I I do. Well, I'm surprised. Really? You didn't get it? Huh? I thought you knew who I was talking about. No, I I totally knew. Okay, okay. (laughs) Oh, you were very convincing for just a moment there. (laughs) 
I had a feeling that you, that I, yeah, no. it's hard not to, especially because people kept asking me on the TikTok live, hey, what do you think about her? What do you think about her? And mm. I'm like, you know, I have lots of opinions, but I was trying not to talk about it on the live when I intended to talk about it today. I'm so sorry. I was watching your live today. <laughs> Nobody said that. I just said that she had a lot of bodies and I, there was a lot of information that I wasn't aware of, but you were the first person who even talked to me about Belle Gunness. Yes. Yes. When I was looking for more female serial killers in my female serial killer series. So I am discussing the early American black widow, Belle Gunness. Yeah. Let's go. And I'm just giving a, a full, uh, a, a caveat right now. For the first couple minutes, there are a lot of names from Norway, and I'm gonna struggle. So bear, bear with her, please, <laughs> please, please. But our lovely Belle Gunness was born in Selbus, Norway, as Brynhild Paulsdatter Storseth, November 11th, 1859, and she was the daughter of a stonemason who was Paul Peterson Storseth and Barrett Oldstatter. She was the youngest of eight children, and they lived at oh goodness. It's called Storsetstradat. Ooh, no. <laughs> and it was a small cotter's farm in Inbaiga, which is about 60 kilometers southeast of the largest city in Norway, Trondheim. Uh, an Irish documentary from 2006 tells a story about her early life that's actually pretty terrible. They say that in 1877, she attended a, like a dance or event, and she was pregnant. And there she was actually attacked by a man, and she would miscarry. The man was the son of a rich family, and as such, he was never prosecuted. Of course. Um, and her friends and family said this affected her very drastically. Um, that she, from that point on, they say that she did not behave the same way that she did before. There isn't a whole lot of information about her life before that moment. But after that, she began working on a farm for a wealthy family. And after three years, she saved up enough money to leave Norway just as her sister Nellie had done before her. And she would immigrate to America in 1881 in search of wealth. And she would adopt a more American Italian name, at least according to her. From that point on, uh, she worked as a servant until she would meet her first husband, who is Mad Sorensen. They would get married in 1884. And two years later, they opened a confectionery store. And a lot of people know this story. Mm-hmm. It was not very successful, and within a year, the shop burns down, mysteriously so. They collect their insurance money and buy a new house. Now, there's a dispute in her life whether she had children here, and so I had to kind of look into this. Some people, like a lot of different sources, say she didn't have any children, but others have said that she had four, and I think that's a big discrepancy. Yeah, like go from zero to four. So she had Caroline, Axel, Myrtle, and Lucy. Caroline and Axel died as infants of acute colitis. Now, this is an interesting thing here because the symptoms of acute colitis are nausea, fever, diarrhea, and stomach pains, which all happen to be the same symptoms as poisoning. Huh. And both Caroline and Axel's lives were insured, and the insurance companies paid out. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Um, now, there was an article in the New York Times from May 7th, 1908, and that did reference that she did have two children whose bodies were interred in the Forest Home Cemetery. And to kind of get an idea of, I guess, what her family looked like, I looked up the Chicago census for 1900, 
And Belle Gunnis and her family are counted. And it's recorded that she was the mother of four children and that two were still alive. Myrtle was three years old and Lucy was one in 1900. And then she also had an adopted daughter named Morgan Couch, who later on is referenced as Jenny Olsen. I don't know why they changed this child's name. Huh. I think, uh, yeah, I didn't remember that. I just don't know why. I I don't know why either. I couldn't find any information to explain why when she moved, she changed the adopted daughter's name. But regardless, uh, her husband dies July 30th, 1900. On the day that one of his life insurance policy ended and another one started. He had gone to a doctor and they diagnosed him with strychnine poisoning. And strychnine is this crystallized powder that comes from a tree of the same name. And in, you know, 2021 era, it's used as rat poison. Oh, so he was rat poisoned. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, but the thing is, Swordson also had a regular doctor who had been treating him for an enlarged heart. And his, that doctor was like, no, this is definitely heart failure. So, so, sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. So, his one insurance policy was ending. Right. And his new one started on the same, they were starting. There was, was an overlap. So one was ending on the same day as the other one was starting, mm-hmm. basically. So she doubled up her cash, she Absolutely, basically. she did. Wait till you find out how much money she made off of that. Um, so the doctor says that an autopsy isn't necessary because heart failure isn't suspicious. And he had a history of congenitive heart failure. Gunness said she had been giving him different medicinal power, like powders, <laughs> to make him feel better and deal with his condition. So she applies for the insurance money from both companies the day after his funeral. Of course. I mean, why let that sit? <laughs> his family is livid and they insist that Gunness poison her husband to collect insurance funds. And surviving records actually show that his family did request an inquest. But we don't know if they actually ever exhumed the body or not. Hmm. Regardless, though, Bell got $8,500, which is to the tune of about $250,000 today. And she would go and buy a farm in LaPorte, Indiana. Wow. Okay. Making money. Today's episode of When Killers Get Caught is brought to you by the Magic Class Boutique which happens to be a company owned by a very own Brittany Ransom. If you've seen Brittany on her live streams, she's always rocking some awesome earrings that she herself makes. From cute ice cream earrings to spooky mermaid earrings. She even makes self-defense keychains so you can look stylish and protect yourself at the same time. The Magic Class Boutique is going to release some special jewelry for the podcast next month, so keep an eye out for that as well. To learn more, go to www.themagicclasp.com. Yeah, the, yeah, and now you want she making money two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't know. Do you want me to kill you for two hundred fifty thousand dollars? I don't have life insurance, so go right ahead. Maybe I'll get doing, some for you. Be doing me a favor. <laughs> I don't think it would be doing you a favor. Also, I'm pretty sure there are other people in your life who would rank higher than me in that regard. Don't, this is true. Don't children matter more in yeah. life insurance policies? Yeah, they would get that first. Okay, so see, see, but then you have to take care of the kids then too. They seem like very nice children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we now in Indiana, she purchases his house on McClung Road 
Um, there was a boathouse and a carriage house, and they also both burned to the ground in 1901. Did she have insurance on those too? It's not mentioned that she had insurance <laughs> on those. Just before leaving Chicago, she meets up with an old friend who's a motorer now. His name is Peter Ganes, and he's also from uh, Norwegian-born. They get married in Laporte on April 1st, 1902. Just one week after their ceremony, Peter's infant daughter dies while she's in the house alone with Belle. And then December of the same year, Peter has a tragic accident. According to Belle, he was reaching for his slippers next to the stove and he knocked a hot pot of brine on himself. But then she changed the story and said he was reaching on a shelf and a piece of a meat grinder machine fell and hit him on the head. No. I'm sorry. So she has two death stories and still this isn't this isn't a coincidence or this isn't suspicious enough for these people to look into her. Okay. Nobody looks into this. (laughs) Nobody. Also, can we just mention that Belle wasn't a small woman. She was a nice, big, strong woman. From what I understand, she's around my height, about five foot eight. Mm. And um, I've seen references of anywhere from 200 to 260 pounds based on her dressmakers, which will come into play later. Right. So her, like, she's a stocky lady. Um, so that meat grinder hit. Yeah, so you know she had to pick up that meat grinder and bash her husband in the head with that. She but had to. Listen, listen, I, wait till you hear. <laughs> wait till you hear something. So the insurance company does pay out about $3,000, but the locals aren't really buying this story. They don't think Peter was that clumsy. He was an experienced pig farmer and a butcher himself. So they were like, how would he just, one, why would he even put it up there? If he was, you know, butchering meat on the regular. But either way, the district coroner reviews his case and announces he was definitely murdered. Now, most people would think that it is impossible that a woman would do that kind of injury. And here we come into play that, you know, Belle was uh, pushing like five foot nine and and anywhere from 260 pounds. And she also butchered animals with her husband. Oh, my God. Now, remember uh, Belle's adopted daughter, who's now referred to as Jenny, now that they're in Indiana? She's overheard telling a classmate, my mama killed my papa. She hit him with a meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell a soul. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jenny is brought in front of a jury and she denies it. Gunness manages to convince the coroner that she is innocent and she didn't even have to tell them that she was pregnant. (laughs) Wait, was that a... No, she really was pregnant. Philip Gunness is born May 1903. Nice. Now, a year later, Peter's brother, his name was Gust, takes Peter's oldest daughter, who's still living there, her name was Swanhilda, and takes her to Wisconsin, which will make Swanhilda the only child to have ever survived living with Belganis. Oh, because she moved out. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Actually, this is really sad. In 1906, Belle tells her neighbors that she sent young Jenny to go to a finishing school in Los Angeles. And then she was, she also told other people that she had sent her to a Lutheran college. Um, that's all a lie. And they would find Jenny's body on the property a few years later. Oh. So I believe that Belle killed her for telling her classmate what she did to her dad. That makes sense. Get rid mm. of your loose ends. Between 1903 and 1906, she continues to run her farm. She employs a farmhand named Ray Lanfear. He'll come into play a lot later, but we're really going to discuss the con here. Uh, during this time period, starting in the like 1904, Belle begins putting advertisements in newspapers. 
mainly she starts in Chicago and other Midwestern cities. And I'm going to read to you what it says. <laughs> okay. It says personal comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in Laporte County, Indiana desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. Triflers. Listen. I love that word. Time wasters need not apply. You need to have your money and to bring it to me, Val said. Please, I need to see your money. You can't just show you can't just tell me you got this money. You need to bring it, take it out of your bank or underneath your mattress, wherever the heck you have it, in the bottom of your shoe. And bring it to Indiana. This would start the, I wish I could, I didn't have enough time to tell you the volume of men who responded to these messages. So it's like Tinder, basically. (laughs) She would have, oh, she would have fared really well on Tinder. Well, uh, one of the men, one of the first ones that Belle would eventually kill, his name was John Moe. He came from Elbow Lake, Minnesota, and he brought with him a thousand dollars with the intention to pay off Bell's mortgage, which is what he told the neighbors who he met when Bell would introduce him as her cousin. Mm. And I just have to say to anyone listening, if you are romantically trying to pursue someone and she introduces you to her friends as her cousin, y'all y'all aren't together. You are not his girl. <laughs> you're not. That's you're, that's not your girl. Oh, uh, Chris. Um, he would disappear a week after he arrived on the farm. Oh, nice. Her next suitor was George Anderson from Tarko, Missouri, who was also a Norwegian immigrant. At a dinner with Anderson, she brought up the mortgage and Anderson said he would pay if she agreed to marry him. Anderson woke up that night with Belle standing above him with a candle in her hand. Uh, when she noticed that he had woke up, she ran from the room. Anderson fled and hopped on a train back to Missouri, making him one of the few men to survive Belgata. Smart man. I'm sorry. Look, listen, if you're like, if, if I'm laying in bed and I see you standing over me with the, with the, just a, like a giant candle inside of a candle holder, like with the, can- were you holding a candelabra for it? Like pretty much, doing? pretty I'm, much. I'm like, I, I need to, I, I need, I left something in my car real quick. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> right back. I'll be right back and never talk to you ever again. So a lot more suitors would arrive, but Anderson is the only one who would actually escape. She began actually ordering these large trunks and a delivery man was later uh, interviewed and he remarked on how he was really surprised that she was able to carry these huge trunks around <laughs> and throw them about like they were marshmallows. That's oh a direct God. quote from him. Oh my God. <laughs> she always kept the shutters of her house closed and people walking by saw her often digging in her pig pen. Hmm. The next man she did it was his name was Ole B. Budsberg. And he was an elderly widower from uh, Iola, Wisconsin. He was last seen alive at Laporte Savings Bank on April 6, 1907. He had mortgaged his Wisconsin land, something he did not tell his sons, Oscar and Matthew. And he also didn't tell them that he had gone off to meet a strange woman who he talked to in the papers. Oh, so you know, if you're traveling, you gotta, you gotta let your family know. <laughs> he told nobody. He just jumped on the opportunity to date this, like, young woman. Oh, my God. When they figured out where their dad had gone, they sent a letter to Gunnis, and she wrote back saying that he had never gotten there. Mm. All throughout 1907, she keeps up just this steady con, and then December of 1907, she meets Andrew Helgelian, a bachelor from Aberdeen, South Dakota. 
he writes her these lovely letters and she actually responds with the same energy. They exchange loads of letters until he finally receives one on January 13th, 1908 that overjoys him. I'm going to read it to you Ooh, right what's now. what's it say? To the dearest friend in the world, no woman in the world is happier than I am. I know that you are now to come to me and be my own. I can tell from your letters that you are the man I want. It does not take one long to tell one to like a person. And you, I like better than anyone in the world I know. Think how we will enjoy each other's company. You, the sweetest man in the world, we will be all alone with each other. Can you conceive of anything nicer? I think of you constantly. When I hear your name mentioned, and this is when one of my dear children speaks of you, or I hear myself humming it with the words of an old love song, it is beautiful music to my ears. My heart beats in wild rapture for you. My Andrew, I love you. Come prepared to stay forever. Oh my god, that's that's like a Greek romance right there. Give me the vapors right now. <laughs> well, Andrew gets this letter and he flies to see her and he takes with him his entire life savings, which is about $2,900. He was ready to stay there forever already. He really was. Uh, it was a check and they deposited the check together at the Laporte Bank. Um, Helgelian would vanish a few days later and Belle would continue making several more deposits to the bank after that. Poor guy. The problem here is that she would begin to have problems with her farmhand, Ray. Um, she wrote to a horse dealer in Topeka, Kansas, named Lon Townsend. And she was also talking to another man named Bert Albert, who had proposed marriage, but didn't have any money. So she told him to kick rocks. Of course. Um, by then, Lon had put off visiting Belle until the spring, and he wouldn't get to see her before the fire that would destroy her home. I need to maybe just take a moment and discuss this whole Ray and Bell situation. Please do. It's very interesting. I, I lightly mentioned the issues with Ray, but the issue really is that Ray was in love with Bell Goddess. Head over heels, crazy in love with her. Like he was willing to do anything for her. And yes, he absolutely did dispose of these bodies for her. It's really unclear of how Bell felt about him other than they did have some sort of a physical relationship. But what we know for sure is that on February 3rd, 1908, she fires him and then goes to the local courthouse and says that he is mentally unwell and she actually convinces them to recommend him for a sanity hearing, which I did not know that was a thing you could do back then. Really? Hmm. Yes. So he has to go to a trial and prove that he is sane to the local officials. He does prove that. And he gets released, but a few days later, she comes back to the courthouse and says that he has been showing up at her farm late at night, and she gets him har arrested for both harassment and trespassing. Yep. Stalker. Ray returns over and over again, and she drives him away every time. He even made veiled threats to some of the other neighbors, saying things like, Helgelian won't bother me no more. I fixed him for keeps. Oh, my God. Now, at this point, Helgelian's been gone, like, for a month or two now. His brother, uh, Azel, was disturbed when Andrew hadn't returned. So Azel writes to Belle in Indiana and asks, like, where's my brother? Mm. And Belle writes back that he left her farm and she assumed he'd gone to Norway to visit his family. Um, the brother's not really believing that. And he writes back telling her that doesn't make any sense. And he says, like, my brother's definitely still in Indiana. Gunnis very brazenly responds, if you'd like to come look for yourself, you can. I'll even help you. But missing person searches are really expensive. And if you want me to help you, I deserve to be paid. Oh, my gosh. She's, she's about the money. 
Like it. Listen, I don't doubt that she wanted him to bring money, and she was going to kill him too. Yeah, I, like she told him to come. She was definitely going to kill him. Yeah. Uh, he w- he didn't come immediately. He wouldn't get there until after May. So now we have Ray Lamphere, who's this unresolved danger, and now we have uh, older brother Helgelian making inquiries. So she actually writes to a lawyer in Laporte, and his name in her letters is M. E. Lelder, and she tells Lelder that she fears for both her life and her children. She tells him that Ray has threatened to kill her and burn her house down, and she wants to make out a will, just in case Ray is successful. Hmm. She leaves her entire estate to her children, and then she leaves to go to Lelder's office. She goes to the Laporte Bank holding her mortgage and pays it off. But she didn't go to the police. And some people believe that she didn't go to the police because there actually was no threat from Ray. And that she was actually just setting the stage for something very big. She just wanted people to get... She, she wanted to get that word into people's heads that, hey, this guy, I may die sooner or later, like maybe tomorrow, maybe today. Who knows? Well, after she fired uh, Ray, she had hired this guy named Joe. And in February of 1908, Ray uh, Joe wakes up and he smells smoke. His room is on the second floor and he opens the door to a wall of flames. Mm. He screams for Belle. But he can't hear anyone. He screams for the children. He hears no one. Slams his door. And then in his underwear, jumps from the second floor. Yes. To where? Second floor to where? To the first. He jumps down out of his window to escape burning alive. Uh, yeah. Did he, like, to the pig pit or to the... I don't say exactly. I'm guessing probably, like, a grassy area. I, I hope so. It's nice and, nice and soft, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then he runs to town to get help. But by the time the very old-fashioned hook and ladder truck arrives at the farm, it's just a smoking ruined house. Right. They find four bodies. Uh, one's a woman. They can't immediately confirm her identity because she was headless. And the others were her children who had all died in their beds. Er, stop. <laughs> Rewind. Headless woman? Yes, they find a headless woman. And the, the uh, key detail here is that they never find this head. They never. never find the head. Maybe Ray took it. <laughs> so the next character I'm going to talk to you about, his name is County Sheriff Smutzer. And I just, I really feel bad for him because this case would follow him for the rest of his career because it gets, it goes from, wow, what a, this is like a domestic violence situation to probably the biggest murder case this man would ever see or anybody in this area would see. But Smutzer hears uh, from the neighbors about the threats from mm-hmm. Ray, and they go looking for him. Lelder comes forward and shows all of the letters that he exchanged with Belle as evidence. Now, Ray isn't much help because as soon as they tell him about the fire, he goes, did Widow Gunnis and the children get out all right? <laughs> when he's told about the fire, he denies all involvement. He's like, I wasn't near her home last night. Um, however, a local neighbor boy named John, Sol- John Soliam tells the police that he saw Ray running from the Gunnis house. And Ray told him, you wouldn't look me in the eye and say that. And the little boy says, yes, I will. And then he goes on to tell the cops, you saw me hiding in the bushes and you told me you'd kill me if I didn't leave. Oh, my God. <laughs> Direct quotes. He says, you told me you'd kill me if I didn't get out of there. Little boy is no chill. <laughs> so Ray is arrested. Of course. And charged with arson and murder. Now, let's, let's talk about this headless body. Please. <laughs> because residents of Laporte are kind of upset. 
But they're like, we need someone to confirm the identity of this body. And so people, like neighbors, go to the coroner to look. And they're all like, yeah, that's not Belganis. And then some of her friends from Chicago come, five more people, and they all go, mm, that's not Belle. So doctors measure the remains, and they determine that it was the body of a woman who was around five foot three and about 150 pounds. Oh, yeah, definitely not Belle. <laughs> so they bring in the dressmakers who worked for Belle, and they all like show detailed measurements of the garments are all given to the police, and they're like, no. There's no way she could fit something that this woman could. Hmm. So the police ultimately concede and are like, well, this woman's definitely not Belle Gunness, even considering the fact that like fire does shrink a body. Mm -hmm. The coroner even examines the contents of this, this body's stomach. And what do you think is inside of her stomach? Is it her head? Nope. nope. (laughs) I don't know. Pigs? Nope. It's something we heard about earlier. Strychnine. Rat poison. Yes, it is. And Bell poisons somebody else. Yep. She can. She has a lethal dose. So, Bell's uh, dentist tells the cops, listen, if you can find the head or even part of her mouth, I can tell you if it's 100% her or not. So, now investigators, sheriffs, deputies, and coroners begin searching the farm for evidence. And that would be when they come across the mm. true uh, story of what was going on on this farm. They build a sluice and begin sifting through remains at the house. And on May 19th, 1908, there's a piece of Bridgeworth with two canine teeth found. And the dentist is immediately like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's definitely Balgunis's mouth. <sighs> then Asil Helgelian arrives and is just like, all right, where's my brother? Mm-hmm. Joe informs them, this is Joe, the second hand, informs right. them that he had been told to bring a large quantity of dirt to the pig pen because there were these depressions in the dirt and Belle wanted them to be level. Huh, depressions. I wonder what's underneath those depressions. So, for the sake of time, I did not include (laughs) the 32 people or pieces of people that they find here, as well as two small children. Oh, goodness. And Andrew Helgelian. (sighs) Side note, Ray was wearing his coat when they interviewed him. Wait, what do you mean? So Andrew, the, the guy who was, was in Andrew's love with coat. Yes, he was wearing Andrew's Are coat. Are you kidding me? Yes. Um also some of her other suitors' jewelry she had given Ray as well. Uh, he had like a really fancy watch from another suitor. So you um, and not only this, she had actually spread out her her search. So she might have started in the Midwest in Chicago, but I found several of the people who were from Philadelphia mm-hmm. and New York. So she spread to the East Coast and she was probably heading towards the West next. Damn. She was just equal opportunities. Oh, it's in it's atrocious. Oh my god. And like is... I said, I listen, if anyone really wants me to at some point list the different men and where they came from and how they met their ends. I can. Can you do it in a minute? I cannot do it in a minute. <laughs> that would be a several, uh, that would be a series. All of the men that Balgan has killed. Oh my God. It was a lot. Um, but at least Asu learned what happened to his brother. Right. And was able to get his remains. That was the most recent body to be left there. So it was probably the one that, well, uh, I don't know. Because the fire happened in February, and they wouldn't get there and start doing this search until May. 
So it's several months that that was in there. That's also where they find Jenny's body. Jenny Olsen, who moved to L.A. Yeah, supposedly. (laughs) Then we talk about Ray. Ray's ending is kind of sad. He gets charged for murder and arson, and he initially denies the charges. And he says the body isn't actually Bell's. And now he's right about that. But his lawyer begins contradicting the evidence uh, by the dentist. And Joe Maxson, the other farmhand, and another man say that they saw the sheriff plant the teeth. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That's what? Oh, my God. And that would have gotten Ray off. Except he was inconsistent. And at some point during this trial, Ray had gone to talk to a priest. And he had a lot of guilt on his soul. And he began just confessing a lot of things. Of course. He confesses that he helped Belle hide the bodies. Um, and, well, this is what I'll tell you what the priest, uh, the details that the priest testified. He had details about Belle drugging the men with chloroform and strychnine, and then Ray would deal with the body disposal. Ray had even told the clergyman about how Belle had lured a woman from Chicago to be a housekeeper, killed her, took her head, waited it and put it in the local swamp, dressed the corpse in her clothes, and torched the house and fled. Wow. So there you go. That's your story. That's 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 how it happened. That is what happened. That's what Ray told the, the priest in what he thought was confidence. Yeah, but exactly. apparently we didn't have those rules like we have now. Now here's the thing. So Belle says to Ray, make sure it burns. I'm going to meet you on a side road. Mm-hmm. And when he goes to look for her, she's not there. Oh, she left him hanging. She did leave him hanging, which is where the little boy saw him. Oh. Lampier tells the court, listen, she's a rich woman, and she definitely left here with well over $30,000, which is almost a million dollars today. But that, over the years, she had stolen well over $250,000, which would be about $6.3 million today. She had a small amount left in her bank account, but the bank did say that she cleaned her accounts before the fire. The day before the fire? They don't say. They just know that before the fire, she had been cleaning them out. Of course. Even in the face of all of this evidence, they do convict Ray of arson and murder in November of 1908. And after his conviction, I don't know if he just, I don't know what happened to him. Mm. He started making all these different contradictory reports to local newspapers saying he was the victim of Bell. Others, uh, then other times he said that they were co-conspirators. Then a couple of times he even said to local papers that he killed Bell. He hit her with an ax and he killed her children because she had left him like, Okay, dude, come on, come on. Stick with one story. I, I don't know if Stick he was just. Story. I don't know if he was just distraught. You know, he what I mean? was. He was in love with her. She yeah. left him. Like, just imagine. And uh, as for Belle, there would be sightings of her for decades all over the United States. Friends, acquaintances, amateur detectives would find her, see her in Chicago, San Francisco, New York, L.A. As of 1931, she was even reported alive and living in a small town in Mississippi. As for our our poor sheriff Mutz Smutzer. He would receive, on average, two reports of a Bell Gunnis sighting for the following 20 years oh. until he retired from being a police officer. Poor guy. He's getting bugged by all these Bell Gunnises that are not even real. Yep, yep. Um, we don't know what happened to her, but um, what we do know is she became American folklore and one of the earliest black widows. Oh, so she may have died or she may... No, we, okay, well, she's dead by now. But. Yeah. <laughs> 
She just wasn't caught. But considering that you actually know a little bit about the story, did you learn anything new? Um, no. Ah. But it was still interesting. <laughs> I just like like I like hearing it. Was that a guitar? I don't know what in the world that sound was. <laughs> I'm gonna turn that off. <laughs> that was a lovely, lovely chord you just played there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Par- oh, I think I hit this. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hit the spring on the side of the mic. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> no, of course I did. I learned. I learned a lot. Um, you know, you refresh my memory, and you know. I didn't know how many. I just. I. I, I knew it was a lot. I just didn't know it was that many. I didn't like. She was consistent, and she was quick. Yeah, yeah. Like it took. What'd you say? Like uh, from a, a she started days. from like nineteen oh four to nineteen oh eight, and and we're talking about a couple months. Mm. Every couple months, having a new guy there, murdering him, taking his money, and dropping it in the bank. Now, I wonder if the kids were in on this, like at any point. I mean, they would have been probably middle eight like you know 12 13 around that age at that point yeah but they could still like bury a dig a hole not according to what ray you know told the priest mm, true. he said it was him so he did all the he did the dirty lifting and i think that's another reason why like i mean you do so much for somebody and then they just they just stiff you right yeah. i mean it's hard it's difficult enough when a friend betrays you but good absolutely. lord absolutely goodness So, I would like to let you know about something that happened to me today at work. Oh my goodness. What happened? I walked by one of my coworkers' classrooms, because mm-hmm. anyone who listens to the TikTok knows that I'm a teacher, and she stopped me, and she said, I had nightmares last night. <laughs> <laughs> now, she listened to the other podcast a couple days ago, and she did tell me that she had dreams about black-eyed children. Oh my God. <laughs> but she said that she had a nightmare last mm-hmm. night. And then her dog woke her up at like two, three in the morning to go outside. And she's like, I don't want to go outside. And she said her her bedroom overlooks the back door. Uh So even though she lives upstairs, she can look down and she would see a child. And so you have thoroughly spooked one of my coworkers who's probably going to listen to this. Hooray. (laughs) That's so awesome. I am sorry. Not sorry. (laughs) I I do apologize for your your consistent nightmares and your on. You don't want to go outside. I mean, who wants to go outside? It's like that SpongeBob episode. He's so excited to work at night, but then you have to go outside. Oof. At night. (laughs) I am not interested in working at night. Taking out the trash at night. But what what have you brought us this week that is going to cause nightmares in my friends who listen to this podcast? Okay. Well, like last episode, I'm starting off with like a little... Blah blah blah, and not a little creepy pasta. Not I'm not telling you another story like that. Okay, I might write one, but anyway. Uh, so let me just start this off by saying that out of all the states in the U.S., West Virginia has got to be one of the most weirdest. Okay, and they have so many cryptids. Oh no! So <laughs> they have the Flatwoods monster. That's like a alien type monster. Okay, uh, I'll show you a picture of it. Um, okay. Um, they have. The Grafton Monster. It's a big, hulking, like, sludgy monster. Okay. <laughs> they have the Sheep Squatch. 
So it's a Sasquatch, but it's a sheep? It's, um, so it's a tall, woolly, I call it an amalgamation of a sheep, bear, possum, and who the hell knows what. Wow. Did you just look up a sheep squatch? I just looked up what a Flatwoods monster is. It looks like an alien, right? It looks like it doesn't belong in our current world. <laughs> and then I'm seeing pictures of people turning them into furniture? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then you have to Google Graft the monster, too, because it's just a big little sludge monster. It's All a right, big sludge monster. Um, and then they have... The oh, cr- that's cool. Let me see. It looks like a kind of hulky looking thing. Yeah, exactly. See? Okay, I would be afraid to see that in the woods, but it does look cool in the pictures. Yes. So, okay. and then after the sweet the sheep squatch, they have the creme de la creme, I'm the ready. chef's kiss of cryptids. Okay. This one even made a museum of, and yeah, that's right. I'm talking about the museum of American glass. Okay, wait a second. Sheep squatch. Oh my god, you didn't get the joke. Not yet. No, you just land. Oh my god, everybody else. I was. Then went. Whatever. I'm talking about. The Mothman. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Mothman. <laughs> I was making a joke. I told... I was... Never mind. Anyway. I'm sorry. It didn't land. I didn't say it right anyway, so it's, it's whatever. But wait. Sheep Squatch is from Fallout, the video game. <sighs> wait. that I didn't realize that was based <laughs> off of something it's, real? Yeah, Real-ish? Yeah, it's okay. So, let me just... <laughs> okay. So, we're talking about the Mothman. We're talking about the Mothman. Yeah. Okay. So, this week, not only are my notes analog, but... So are my sources. Well, one of my sources is analog. Okay, cool. Um, from author Lauren Coleman, it's called Mothman and Other Curious Encounters from, and oh, from another blah blah blah, Mothman and Other Curious Encounters, and from Cryptid Wiki. Okay. So, okay. Now, for all my gamers out there, like Brittany mentioned earlier, I'm sorry, I'm a dork. No, it's fine. <laughs> I'm most sorry. of most of the beast cryptids that I mentioned are featured in Fallout seventy six. I only knew about the sheep squatch. I didn't know the others were there too. Oh yeah, so Fallout seventy six takes place in West Virginia. Oh well, that makes perfect sense then. Yep, it's uh, after a nuclear fallout from you know the world going to shit. Um, yeah, like so, it's gonna happen in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Eventually, one day. So yeah, you got the Flatwoods monster. They have the Grafton monster. They have the sheep squatch. <laughs> a lot of people really don't like Fallout 76, but now I'm interested. Okay, Fallout... Look, okay, let me just say, when it first came out, nobody liked it. Because it was just blah. But they came out with other expansions to the game. I'm getting into the games. I'm sorry. Is it away from Mothman? inevitably but... this is going to happen when you deal with nerds. I know. So, they, they came out with more expansions. So, they came out with a Wastelanders expansion, mm-hmm. which... Added more story to the, the game. They added more NPCs to it. So people who are used to playing Fallout games, they get to play with NPCs. They get to pick a side okay. eventually for finishing a certain quest. So you think that now it is a fully fledged, a fleshed out game it, and worthy of the purchase? I feel like it's worth the purchase because they keep adding more stuff. Like they just came out with a Brotherhood of Steel expansion to it. So you get to play with Brotherhood of Steel. Okay. Um. Whoever whoever is listening to it and who doesn't like Fallout 6, just give it a chance. Like, I'm pretty sure it's on sale right now. I should look. Check on Steam. It's probably on sale. Check on your PlayStation Store. It's probably on sale. Check. I'm not sure if it's on Xbox, but if it is, check it out. It's a good game. I like playing it. I like. I haven't gotten too far in it, but it's it's fun for me because I love Fallout. Okay. Um. But yeah, like 
These creatures are from Fallout 76, but they originate from West Virginia lore. Okay, so the two sources I, I mentioned earlier, they, they stated this area first. So this is like the first thing they mentioned. So this is called the TNT area. Now, this area is where a lot of Mothman sightings were. Okay. So during World War II, this facility manufactured ammunition and dynamite. Okay. Now, since it's closed down, uh, it's been a wildlife preserve. Okay. I think they dumped TNT there as well. And it's, um, the, in the book, it mentioned that it is a site for toxic waste. Awesome. From a downriver atomic plant. I mean, that would be a place where a cryptid might grow. Right? Where like, there's uh, atomic waste. A mutant moss Yeah, some thing. sort of mutant might grow in that water. <laughs> I mean, this is how movies are made. Yes. I have to note that the first recorded sighting of the Mothman was on November 12th, 1966. Okay. Five men were preparing a grave in the cemetery when they spotted something lifting up from behind the trees. They described it as a brown winged humanoid creature. So let's get into the first, I guess, the first big story that the Mothman was sighted. I feel like I know of, you know, the Mothman, but I don't know a lot about it. Okay. All right, well, hopefully I can fill in some gaps for you. There you go. Yeah. All right, so so now it's 19... Uh, goodness. <laughs> now it's November 15th, 1966. We have two young couples, and their names are Robert and Linda Scarberry, and Steve and Mary Mallette. Mallette. It's... it's I guess it's spelled like mine. It's spelled like Gillette, but... Oh, but Mallette. Yeah. Sounds okay. pretty. Now, they, they weren't married at this time, of course, but they were just young couples. Um, oh, so after a traumatic event, they got married? I know, right? It's How adorable. <laughs> there was a... Okay, we'll talk about this another time, but yeah. there was definitely a couple that potentially ran across Ted Bundy mm. when they were on a date, and they think they like might have tripped over a oh, body yeah. in the Oh, yeah, I remember sand. hearing about that, yes. Yeah, and they ended up getting married, too. Apparently, trauma brings people together. Absolutely. I mean, it, it makes sense. Okay, so they were out joyriding around the TNT area late at night. Of course. That's what teenagers do. Absolutely. <laughs> so they had just driven past an old generator plant when they spotted a huge figure hiding in the dark by the side of the road. So wait, were they actually at the location where the warehouse was? The were they spelunking? So the TNT area is like this big, huge area. So it had like little different spots to it. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them had like there were some bunkers and some other. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it's like this big, huge area. Okay. <laughs> So there's this generator plant that's in the TNT area. Um, so the first thing I noticed were its two huge glowing red eyes. So the creature didn't seem to notice them at first. It seemed to be heading towards the generator. Um, the creature was at least seven feet tall and had wings folded behind its back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going towards the generator because that's what a moth would do. I know, right? It just makes sense. <laughs> so its torso resembled a human... But it had no arms, but no arms, and it didn't look like it had a head or no neck. So imagine, like, an owl, how their heads, like, sit down. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. And they just have their wings up like that and stuff like, yeah. That's actually really imposing, and I always thought of Mothman as kind of cute looking. How? Not cute. This doesn't sound cute at all. No, Mothman's I not I thought cute. it was like a little bug guy. Okay. <laughs> 
I like, love moths. I think okay, they're beautiful. There, there are multiple pictures of them, but this is like one of them. Oh, oh like gosh. A, it looks like a cute moth guy. No, it does not look like a cute moth guy. Yeah, it was like <laughs> kind of a nasty looking owl. Um, I have multiple pictures of this. Lovely. Of this guy. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. So, so Roger hits the gas and is, you know, he's driving about like 100 miles per hour. At the same time, the creature was keeping up with him, gliding alongside the car. It wasn't even flapping his wings. It was just gliding alongside the car at 100 miles per hour. So imagine being chased by that. <laughs> so they went to speed until they made it back to Point Pleasant. Um, I think what we were most upsettling here is that you're like speeding for your life and mm-hmm. this thing is just like coasting along. Yeah. So How fast must it be for it to just even, be coasting while you're doing 80 on the highway? That's not even its top speed. It's not even my final form. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it was a perfect moment for that. All right. So they went to speed until they got back into Point Pleasant. Uh, the creatures stayed with them until they got past the town limits. And as soon as they got into the city, they, it turned back. So apparently, that's terrifying, though. Yeah, um, apparently, from the wiki source I got, um, they headed back to the TNT area <laughs> because they're foolish. Because they had they had all talked over and they all decided that they had just seen some weird looking owl or bird that chased them. So, so they 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 see it again. Of course, like it was waiting, like so, like it was waiting for them. They were standing by the side of the road, <laughs> like where, like where they first spotted it. It was back there. It and waited for you. It was waiting for them to come back. And see, it, if as I'm driving towards the city limits and I see the Mothman waiting, this is when I turn around and go, you know what? I guess I just don't get to visit here anymore. No, I got to, I got to go home now. <laughs> you know, I get maybe the TNT zone just isn't for me. <laughs> You just have to know whether things are for you or not <clears throat> in life. No. And then it as it, I guess, so they illuminate it. So they, they illuminate it with their headlights. And mm-hmm. then as soon as they hit it with the headlights, it leaps up in the air, like flies away straight up okay. and disappears above the tree line. Oh. So yeah. After that, it wasn't seen again by them. Good. So later on, they call local law enforcement uh, to make a report. Two couples tell Deputy Sheriff Mallard uh, Halstead their account. Um, when so this all- is two separate couples who didn't know each other tell the story of No, they this- were together. Oh, okay. They, yeah, these couples were... I was were- thinking that would make it more legitimate if so they So had- I'm guessing they were all in just one car. Oh, okay. And just, you know, hanging out as wow, friends Wow, think about that. Just going to find a hookup spot and your friend's in the back seat with his girl? I don't know if I would be interested in having an audience. Look here. Some people used to do this. This is like as early You're as... right. Some people did used to do that. I'm just not one of them people. I'm pretty sure it didn't stop either. <laughs> you're right. You're right. There's probably still people doing things in couples. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> no kink shame. <laughs> <laughs> So, so when officers go to the TNT area, they don't see anything strange, but they do have some seri- some scary moments. Oh! So Deputy Sheriff Mallard, uh, we saw like a cloud of dust kick up off the ground, but like to a from an adjacent coal yard. Okay. From where they were searching, they also saw shadows circling the old power plant. 
Oh. So just imagine like. Like a large bird. Like, yeah, or bats or something. Maybe even, I'm not, I'm just speculating. It might have been bats or something. Something was circling the O power plant. That's okay. It's still interesting. Yeah. So on November 16th, the Point Pleasant Register had the awesome headline of couples or couple sees man-sized bird creature something wow <laughs> wow don't you love when the copy editor creates those kind of headlines yeah there's like oh, it, it was... couple sees man bird something yeah bird creature something bird creature something all right so throughout the next 13 months in point pleasant there were an estimated uh 100 plus sightings of the mothman now these all these sightings were culminating uh culminating there you go (laughs) i cannot speak listen i said a city in norway and coughed yeah they culminated um with the disaster of the the silver bridge now i'll get into that shortly the bald man uh, the bird man of they point, called him the bird man? They called, him, they called him, yeah, the bird creature of Point Pleasant. That doesn't um, sound nearly as cool as the Mothman. So they, they, it was renamed the, the Mothman by an Ohio copy editor who was a fan of Batman. The Batman TV series. Oh, you mean the good one. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, with Sir Adam West. Okay, okay. So apparently, the men in black harassed witnesses of the Mothman... They wanted to keep them quiet about it. No. That's what, look. <laughs> we always get into conversations about the men in black on TikTok, on the live streams, and it's so creepy. Men in black are just out there to keep everything hush-hush. So, oh, interesting. So that changes my entire perspective of what the Mothman was. Yeah. Because if the men in black are involved, that's an alien thing. It's true. It was something paranormal. All right. Oh. So let's take a step back for a second. Describe mm-hmm. the Mothman. So it's a bipedal winged humanoid. Mm-hmm. It's more owl-like than it is moth. So the name is wrong. Just a little bit. Now there is a cryptid called the Owlman, and it, and it is kind of similar to the Mothman, mm-hmm. except I think there's just certain different characteristics about it and what it does. Um. So the Mothman can either be black, gray, or brown. But it's usually sometimes a darker shade. Okay. Um, it's about seven feet tall, and its wingspan is about 10 to 15 feet and can fly over 100 miles per hour. Which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Has two large red eyes. Uh, his head is more like that of an owl's, like it's low towards right. his chest. No neck. Yeah. Um, giving an appearance of not having a head. So, one witness that saw its face. Suffered from nightmares and a nervous breakdown. And anyone who sees its face suffers this way or has like a psychological break. Oh. So, yeah, like I said, um, all the sightings culminate, culminate, culminate. But okay, so here's my question. You yes. said it has to do with this bridge, but here's the side note. Mm-hmm. So, if you go down to West Virginia, there are statues like these, mm-hmm. and that is what I always thought it looked like. It looked like a bug person with like webbed <clears> hands <throat> and big wings. That's not what you're describing right now. No, these are the first accounts, and these are like it's it's like a game of telephone, you know, with accounts and stuff. Okay, sometimes it looks like that was my association like with yeah. it, and how you're describing it is actually disgustingly unsettling. <laughs> 
It does not look like a big bug man. Most of his accounts happened right before the fall, the collapse of the, uh, the Silver Bridge on December 15th, 1967. Okay. So it's like a year. Because the first thing happened in the 66, right? Yeah. So in the course of a year, I mean, we're talking about every couple of days, a new uh-huh. sighting. Yeah. So if anybody doesn't know what the Silver Bridge was, it was an Ivar chain suspension bridge built in 1928. And this is straight from Wikipedia. And it was named for the color of its aluminum paint. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bridge carried U.S. Route 35 over the Ohio River, connecting Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and... <laughs> Galapolis, Ohio. All right, I'm 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 bad at pronunciations too. I'm sorry, I cannot speak. And so on December fifteenth, nineteen sixty seven, the Silver Bridge collapsed under the weight of rush hour traffic. Oh my god! Resulting in the death of forty six people. Wow. Two of the victims were never found. So investigation of the wreckage pointed to the cause of the collapse being a failure. Of a single eye bar in the suspension chain. Wow. Yeah. So due to that small defect, um, analysis showed that the bridge was carrying too many heavy loads. Like it was carrying more than it should have. I mean, but I, you would assume that it would be able to handle just cars. Yeah. I guess there were there's something else that was going over it. And there was too many cars. There's rush hour traffic. Well, and too. also like there are rules, you know, like about those big trucks. This is true too. Yeah. Um. So th- and maybe now that's why they have these rules. Probably that makes sense. Um. The bridge was replaced by the Silver Memorial Bridge, which was completed in 1969. So they quickly got a new one up. All yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So do we think that the Mothman had something to do with this? So. The Mothman is believed to be a herald of impending doom or disasters. Oh, okay. So, so it's an omen. Like yeah. a bad omen. So, yeah. He's, or, or like a warning. Okay. So all these accounts happened before the bridge collapsed. But did he like go to the bridge or something? How would they know that it was the bridge that was going to go? It was the only disaster that happened. But how would you be able to prepare for it if you saw him? You would just know something bad's going to happen in this area of 50,000 people? Yep. Oh, God. This is terrible. That's like the worst kind of, like, Uh, omen. Now, okay, now, the Mothman has appeared in other places where disasters have struck. Ooh. So, he appeared, he was haunting, I guess, a mine in Freiburg, Germany. Oh. Uh, later on, the mine collapsed. Hot continents. Yeah. Cool. Um, he also was haunting a nuclear plant at Chernobyl. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, see, but those are a little more specific. Like, exactly. he's in the mine. He's at Chernobyl. Chernobyl melts down. Like, okay, I get that. But here, he's just, like, hanging out near this TNT zone. Maybe it was Glomming off of the, you know, energy coming out of the cells, or I don't know how it works. Listen, I don't know the recipe for what. <laughs> oh my thing god! Needs, but I'm just saying. Okay, so I feel like in West Virginia, how it worked was that like a guy appeared in your house and was just like, "Ooh, something's bad gonna happen," and you're like, "Okay, ghost of Christmas past." But like what? He's like something, and you're like, okay, but can you help? Like, where is it gonna be? Downstairs, upstairs? He's like, can't tell you. Something's coming. Oh my god! 
They, look, <laughs> it's not a good omen if he doesn't help you figure out how to fix it. It's just supposed to tell you that things are going to happen soon. How will I do? How will I avoid it if I lived in West Virginia? Just move, maybe, or stay away from things traveling at least. <laughs> <laughs> Though he did harass people on a highway, so maybe he was trying to impart the idea that yeah. like stop driving travel around. is bad. Stay out of your cars. There you go. Let's, <laughs> let's just roll with that. Um, there are also two pictures taken on nine eleven in New York. Nah, dead ass. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. No way. Um, and he also appeared uh, at the collapse of the Minnesota Bridge. I'm. I need. I'm sorry. I have to. Okay, I definitely have seen this picture before, but I didn't know what they were trying to like impart. Yeah, that's the Mothman. man. But like, it had already started. You got. You got there too late, buddy. Like you. You. you like <laughs> there had already been a boom into a uh, tower one, and then we see you fly by. It's too late now. The attack already started. He was just late that day. Okay. <laughs> He was late to war in New York. He was on CP time. <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to explain what that is. That's just a special thing between us. Oh my god. Okay, so there are, <laughs> so there are multiple sightings of the Mothman before tragic events, like I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people think he's there to warn about disasters. Some people think that... Um, He's the harbinger. He he is the the one that causes the, the disasters. Well, yeah, especially because he's like right at the location, especially with the nine eleven one. I mean, he's right there as it happens. I mean, you did that exactly. No planes. The Mothman flew into Tower One, and that's what caused it. To oh my happen. God! All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Did you? Would you like to hear about another encounter? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So this is straight from the book that I um, mentioned earlier. Okay. So, so in what seems to have been a related incident about 90 miles away in Salem, West Virginia, Newell Partridge reported at 10.30 p.m. that same in the e- evening, 19, uh, November 15th, where the first sighting happened, mm-hmm. <clears throat> 19, uh, November 15th, 1966. I don't know why I want to say 1966 and then november 15th oh. first year month date maybe that's how they do it backwards like they do in europe maybe we do it backwards everybody else does it the same well, way that's how it works everyone else is doing math and science a certain way and america's <laughs> just messing it up okay so november 15th 1966 the same night as the first encounter okay he had been watching tv when suddenly his tv began flickering then shut off that's a terrible sign yeah uh, his three-year-old purebred German Shepherd, his name was part. Uh, his name was Bandit. Oh, I know he was a good boy. Um, you said was. Well, it was nineteen sixty-six. Oh, okay, you're right. He's probably <laughs> gone now. So it began howling, going outside with a flashlight. The Doddridge County uh, County farmer saw two large red eyes staring at him. Bandit took off towards the eyes, which then fan- vanished. Partridge reported that he heard Bandit. Screech. He never saw his dog again. No! I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's sad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I made it seem like he lived longer. But I was... You definitely did. You made it seem like he lived a long life. 
I'm so he got sorry. eaten by the alien bird bug. <laughs> so I love that I'm more offended by this dead dog than I was by bug that is killing like 46 people. Oh my god. <laughs> so, so Partridge's description of what he called the red reflectors matched the reports of the four young Mason County people who had their TNT encounter about 90 minutes before uh, Partridge's, or actually, they were after Partridge's experience. Okay, so this actually does legitimize the story. This is two separate people in two separate places giving a similar account. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Of course, like any other cryptid or urban legend, creepypasta, whatever, Wolfman can expl- be explained away easily. Well, not okay. easily, but you know, it, it can, you, there, there are things that can prove that he doesn't exist. Okay. So... He could be a large heron. Do you know what a heron is? Yes. Okay. We have them around here, don't we? Yeah, I think so. I don't think ours are that big, though. No. Uh, he could be a sandhill crane, just like a heron. Um, and it could be a large barn owl. So it could be things. Uh, so, okay, so wait. A heron is like, at best, the biggest heron, which is a goliath, is like five feet tall. Yeah. Just imagine a mutant heron. But 11 feet. Uh, but only it's like 11 pounds. It's super skinny. Hey, these are things that can explain them away, though. You know, I love how the first question on Google is, can a heron kill a human? What's <laughs> wrong with people? <laughs> I just wanted to know how big it was. Yes. Yes, he can. Um. Okay. So we're moving on to the fun stuff now. Uh, here. Okay. So there is an awesome Mothman Museum in downtown Point Pleasant with a bootylicious Mothman statue. Okay, so that's the one that I've always thought about, that so, big silver one? Absolutely. Have you seen the backside of no, it? No, I have not seen the backside. Okay, let me just let me just pause for a second. Guys, I'm sorry, I gotta show Brandon this picture. Um hold on a sec. Moss man. It got that thong thong thong. <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> well okay, mm-hmm. look, there's even a search that says Mothman statue back. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, show me. I wanna let see. Let me show you that hold on. Let me get a good picture of that donk. <laughs> what is wrong with us tonight? I don't know, but look, like he got, he got, he got a nice booty. Um, there's a, even a picture. Of, <laughs> I just like, but do he got a booty? He do, he, he do. do. <laughs> <laughs> like I think there's a picture of some lady sitting next to the. Yeah. Okay. Oh, look. of course they. Of course. Okay. Of course. So Women this is a nice this. picture of. <laughs> <laughs> it's just butts so with, many butts with his butt because he has i a, mean he doesn't have any pants on no but he has a nice those are, those are some cheeks right there okay there you go <laughs> oh my god uh, so that's at the okay so the picture i've always associated with him is from the point pleasant museum absolutely okay um I just assumed it was less shiny in real life. Oh, no. I didn't realize that they just created like their own sexified version of the Mothman. That's like sexy Jesus. Oh no! <laughs> There's also a Mothman festival held in held the third weekend of every September. Okay. So it's it coincides with the um right with the museum downtown Point Pleasant. Okay. Um, what do people do during this festival? <sighs> 
goodness, I don't know. I didn't look that far into it. I just gotta wonder, like, do you dress up like the Mothman? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like a parade and everything. This is a cosplay situation. Are you planning on cosplaying Mothman? I, it doesn't appear to be interesting to me, but... I mean, you do have the booty for the Mothman. <laughs> you could do that. Oh my goodness. So... For anybody who doesn't know, he's also fe- he's also featured in the book The Wolfman Prophecies. That's by John A. Keel. And that's a movie. And I always wondered what it was about, but I've never watched it. So it, it is in a movie as well. And maybe we can watch that sometime. Maybe it's on Shudder. Shudder.com. Oh. Shudder, sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would. That'd be great. <laughs> as I mentioned before, the Mothman is a creature that appears in the video game Fallout 76. So it appears as a giant moth. Um, it's more moth than it is man. So it looks like a giant moth. Right. Um, some like there are two different variations of it. Um, there was this one mission that you had to collect um light light from fireflies to stick it into like a lighthouse so you could summon the wise moth man. Now this one, as soon as I saw it, it's like it's just a big freaking moth. It's a giant moth. And when I first saw it, when I walked out the lighthouse, it was just standing there and it creeped me the hell out. <laughs> now, there are other mothmen in the game. They're just like black shadowy type things. Ooh. But like I saw two of them. The first time I saw one, I was OK. So I'm looking off on the mountain. I'm looking for a place to build my uh, a place to build my base. Mm-hmm. Right. Or my shelter, whatever you want to call it. And I hear something in my in my headphones, like flapping over so to my are right. These, are they technically enemies? Yeah, they're okay. See, the, the, they just straight fight you. The black ones are enemies. Okay. So I look over, I look over to to my right, and I see like this shadow just going away. It just freaking disappeared, and like the words, the description at the top where the you know the enemy is, it says Mothman. And I was like, are you kidding me? I just saw Mr. Like a Mothman. Um, and really the only thing that's more frightening than recognizing a monster in a game is when it just says, question mark? Yeah, <laughs> that too. That's uh, And you're like, oh my god, I'm too underlevel for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one I saw, I was just walking around during the day, mm-hmm. and I just saw a Mothman off to the left, just creeping in the woods, just staring at me. And I was like, I'm not messing with you today, sir. And then on the, my right side, there was a death call so i was like i'm getting out of this area <laughs> all right uh it was actually a sheep's watch it was a legendary sheep's watch don't mess with those they're, legendary lovely they lovely. they are terrible um so yeah i have i do have more information um so it seems that the mothman may be a combination of two different sony legends okay so we're relating this back to more native american things i see I'm, shawnee Shawnee. The word. Shawnee. Okay. It's always Native American, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I can. This is not my tribal stuff this time. <laughs> I can definitely not pronounce this name. I think I wrote it down to, wrong too because my handwriting is a little uh, weird. Okay, I'm gonna try to pronounce it. It's a Missy Miss Missinjiwa. Looks like Missijiwa. Missijiwa. I I like that one better. Okay. Let's let's just go with that. Okay, so it's a big, it's a Bigfoot like spirit um, who protects this forest animals and watches hunters to make sure they don't disrespect the nature. I like that. So it may have been the cause 
of the Silver Bridge collapse if hunters were disrespectful in any sense. And in fact, in the 1950s, the Mason County Courthouse was demolished and the remains of cheap cornstalk were unearthed. Now, I don't think I need to tell everybody else what happens when you disturb uh, Native American burial grounds or Not a lot of remains. Laughing. Let's just say, anybody remember Poltergeist? Oh, yeah. That's what that <laughs> movie was about. Uh, <clears throat> so, the other legend is about, goodness, gracious, great balls of fire. Let me see if I can get this correct. But yeah, I think Masujua is Mas- correct. Okay, good. Let me just... I didn't know it was a kind of... That's interesting. Another kind of Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, but this one is a protector. We like... Yeah. Attack like... and protect. And snack. So, there's also another um, legend. Uh, of course, like I said, it was a combination of two. This is the legend of the White Hawk. So, this one... Now, now the first legend, it didn't resemble the Mothman at all. It was just like a spirit of vengeance. Uh, not a vengeance spirit. It's like a protector of the forest. But interestingly enough, there are other stories globally around that. I mean, Screaming Skulls from Europe. That's true. Concept that if you move them, they are also vengeful and they kick up. They destroy bridges and cause damage. So it's not an entirely unheard of concept. Right. So it could be like, well, it's like a combination of a lot of legends. Okay. Um, now there's other legends. The Wayhawk. Now this one looks closer to the Mothman because of the bird-like features and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So this one comes with a story. So in this legend, I'm not going to say it's Native American by the name of, I'm going to say Whoopi, W-A-U-P-E-E. Uh, Wape, Wape. Wape. Yeah. Wape. Let's go with yours. I'm just, I'm just going to come to you when I need pronunciations like that. <laughs> <clears throat> so by the name Wape, he lived in the forest alone. He became intrigued by the Star Chief's daughter, who lived high up in the sky. They had a child together, but the child was brought to live in the sky instead of in the forest with Wape. He terribly missed her and his son. One day, the chief gave Wape an option to live in the sky, but first Wape was required to pass a test, involving gathering bits of animals in the forest. The chief said for each of the family to choose a part of an animal, for that is what they will become. Okay. Star Chief's daughter, Wape, and their son all chose a white hawk's feather instead to descend back to the forest. The legend then explains the families of the white hawks continue to live in the forest. Perhaps residents of Point Pleasant witnessed witnessed apparitions of white hawks during the events leading up to the collapse of the Silver Bridge. So, it could be a combination of both of those uh, things. They could have seen the white hawk in the TNT area Mm -hmm. and... Bisingua mm-hmm. um, could have been the one to collapse the bridge. So, that is all I have for the Mothman. Any questions? Just a lot to think about. That's <laughs> I'm very interested in the Mizijua. Mizijua. Oh my god. I really like that. I thought that, listen, I love the idea of vengeful spirits. Not vengeful against me, but in general, vengeful spirits that are... Uh, Dealing with people that are destroying land or yeah. desecrating remains. Right. Absolutely. So I just have feelings about that. But either way, this was a... Yeah. See, I told you it wasn't as scary. This was not as scary, at least. So hopefully, hopefully you won't frighten my friends. Nobody gets nightmares this week. 
hopefully. <laughs> you say that hoping that people get nightmares. I hope you get nightmares. I really do. I'm sorry if you do. Not really. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm not. Oh my god. Well, yeah. well, this was fun. I know. We had a lot of fun tonight. Yeah. Less scared. I am less scared after leaving this one because last time I did leave a little spooked. unsteady. I'm sorry. I was spooked thoroughly last I, week. I will say sorry to you. Aw. But next week, maybe. But not. remember to everyone listening that if you would like to leave a message for us, you just have to go to anchor.fm slash when killers get caught. We would love to hear from you. You can comment on this week's podcast or any previously. We'd love to talk to you. And then uh, you can always just, you know, help out with our sponsors. That's www.themagicclasp.com. Uh, we are in the process of making uh, some killer inspired earrings. And also always Anchor is another one of our sponsors. Absolutely. That is just helping people create po- podcasts and spread them around the world. And also, like, hello to all of the people from all around the world. Oh, my God. There's so many people. So many of you. I didn't think that we'd reach this far. I didn't, same. I, I, when I looked on it the other day and I saw Qatar, I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that we'd be getting to everyone in the world. But thank you so much for listening. We enjoy doing this. As you can tell, we had just a joyous time the entire time tonight. Yes, it was really fun. Thank you for listening. And if you would like any uh, killer content during the week you can always find me on the caught podcast tiktok yes and you can uh one day we're gonna get brian to uh, continue his tiktok I've on creeps with more. brian i'm sorry i've been meaning to make more i should have done some black eye children there see there you go start telling some of these little stories <laughs> oh but thank you guys for listening absolutely and enjoy your night <laughs>